I'm Lindsay. And I'm Sarah, and together we're the co-founders of Whale Tales, a living library of cetacean stories. Today, we're heading north to discuss bowhead whales. Plus a holiday classic-themed dolphin tale. So sit back and enjoy as we dive right in. Happy winter for our Northern Hemisphere listeners. Happy summer. I'm jealous for anyone listening in the South. (laughs) Uh, For this month's episode, we are diving into the last of the three all year round living Arctic whales because we have discussed belugas, we have discussed narwhals, but we've saved the biggest and best maybe for last (laughs) We're talking about bowhead whales today, and the bowhead whale is the only baleen whale that actually spends its entire life in Arctic and subarctic waters. Many baleen whales visit, only the bowhead can tough out the winter. (laughs) Some taxonomy before we get started. Carl Linnaeus, we all know him. Big deal. Uh, Big deal in the naming world. In the naming Centuries ago. (laughs) Yep. Named the species in his 10th edition of Systema natura in 1758 it was seemingly identical to its relatives in the north atlantic north pacific and southern oceans and so they were all thought to be the same species collectively known as the right whale and given the name balania mysticetus but now the bowhead whale occupies a monotypic genus so it's just them uh separate from the right whales as proposed by john edward gray in 1821 because surprise surprise there's taxonometric debate <laughs> <laughs> this just should be the theme of all episodes all basically episodes ever um so for the next 180 years the family balanidae was a subject of a great taxonomic debate as always like always. all the other cetacean families <laughs> um they repeatedly recategorize the three populations of right whales and the bowhead whales as one two three four species in a single genus or two separates and that sounds Exhausting. Oh my god. It's textbooks, man. Um, studies in the 2000s finally provided clear evidence that the three living right whale species are a phylogenetic lineage distinct from bowheads, and that bowheads and right whales are two separate genera. genera. Right whales are confirmed to be a separate genus, Eubelinia. So, nice. Finally. Okay. For now. Finally for now. <laughs> Finally for, for now. now. <laughs> nothing's nothing's final. Um, okay. Let's talk about what they look like. Uh, you might have seen pictures of them, but probably not a lot of people have seen them in person. I haven't, for sure. Um, so bowheads are, they have a large, really robust, like they're big, sturdy, sturdy creatures. They've got a dark colored body and a white or low, um, lighter colored chin and lower jaw. They have a massive triangular-shaped skull, which is handy for breaking through the Arctic ice to breathe. Uh, Inuit hunters have reported bowheads surfacing, like breaking through 60 centimeters or 24 inches of ice. It's amazing. Mm. And they have the largest mouth of any animal, uh, with the largest baleen baleen plates being a maximum length of 4 meters or 13 feet, which is... um, is really long bigger than a lot of dolphins <laughs> yeah and porpoises all the porpoises yep all the porpoises <laughs> uh the bowhead whales they have a paired blowhole at the highest point on their head and they can make a pretty big blow 6.1 meters or 20 feet high which is yeah seems pretty big to me uh, 
And their blubber is the thickest of that of any animal, which makes sense because they are the largest Arctic, like fully Arctic um, whale. And they their blubber has a maximum of like 43 to 50 centimeters or 17 or 17 to 19 inches, which is a lot. Uh, similar to their neighbors, the belugas and the narwhal, the bowhead does not have a dorsal fin, which is an adaptation for spending so much time under the sea ice. Um, bowhead whales are comparable in size to the three species of right whales. The largest that was has been reliably measured, although it's pretty tricky to measure them because of all the ice, um, was a male of 16.2 meters or 53 feet and a female of 18 meters or 59 feet. And on average, the female bowheads are larger than males. The adults, they think, weigh around 80 metric tons or 88 short tons. Let's talk about the behavior of bowhead whales. Bowhead whales are not a particularly social species of cetacean. They are typically seen traveling alone or sometimes in small groups, maybe up to six animals, uh, especially when it's mating season, but more on that later. They are able to dive and remain underwater for up to an hour, but that is extreme. Much more often their dive times are between 9 and 18 minutes. And though they're not a deep diver, they can reach depths of about 150 meters or 500 feet. So they're not topping out any of the deep diving scales that we've talked about with uh, some other cetaceans in the past. But not bad. Not bad, bowhead whale. <laughs> they are obviously built very differently than most other baleen whales, uh, except the right whales, which... <laughs> see Lindsay's previous section about confusion and they do look very similar to right whales uh, they're not built for speed they are built for bulk and so their approach is more of kind of like a cruising approach than a whoosh let's go they are very slow swimmers normally traveling at about oh two to five kilometers an hour Oh boy. <laughs> nice. It's like one to three leisurely. miles per hour. Yeah, just just a leisurely leisurely cruise. Yeah, good job. Da, 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 da. Um, though, when fleeing from danger, they can travel at a whopping speed of are you ready for it? Ten kilometers <laughs> an hour. <laughs> speed demons. So speedy. Very important to be bulky when that is the speed you talk about. Yes. Yeah, big and bulky. Um, due to their build, they tend to forage in more of a continuous skim feeding behavior. So they'll actually just kind of like swim for hours, just kind of consistently filter feeding that whole time rather than any of the, you know, perhaps more impressive lunge feeding or, or bubble net feeding behaviors that you see from other baleen whales. Still really impressive what they're eating, though. Their diet does consist mostly of zooplankton, as we would expect from a baleen whale, something like copepods, amphipods, uh, small crustaceans. But they're eating about 1.8 tons or two short tons a day. So that's like 10% of their body weight. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I feel like I would like to approach life as <laughs> a bowhead whale does. Seems very cozy constantly moving very very, very slow. slowly actually i did ad I, you know what mm. just just let's just be honest. i did approach life like a bowhead well during the early days of the pandemic mm -hmm. i would slowly <laughs> walk around my house eating any time i walked <laughs> through any room that had food yeah that sounds about yeah. right yep yep grazing as it were 
So bowhead whales are highly vocal and use a low frequency, less than a thousand hertz sounds, low frequency sounds, to communicate while traveling, feeding, and socializing. Intense calls for communication and navigation are produced, uh, especially during migration season. And during breeding, they make long, complex, variable songs for mating calls. From 2010 to 2014, near Greenland, 184 distinct songs were recorded from a population of about 300 animals. So that's a lot. Um, sexual activity occurs between the pairs, between pairs and in boisterous groups of several males and one or two females. Uh, breeding season is observed through March through August, and conception is believed to occur primarily in March when song activity is at its highest. Reproduction uh, can begin when a whale is 10 to 15 years old, and the gestation period is 13 to 14 months, which is pretty much in the middle of everybody. Um, and females produce a calf one or well, a calf once every three to four years, um, and lactation typically lasts about a year, which makes sense. Um, to survive in the cold water after birth, calves are born with a super thick layer of blubber. A newborn calf is typically four to four and a half meters long, weighing roughly a thousand kilograms or 2,200 pounds and grows to 8.2 meters or 26 feet within its first year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Well, yeah. <laughs> if you think about belugas, which are yeah. smaller, but they also get big and fat, super fast. Super fast. So yeah. Cause you gotta get, reason. yeah, you gotta get big and warm. Big and able yep. to stay warm before your first winter. Yep. Yep, yep. yep. Well, because if, like, they get pregnant in March, so that's, mm-hmm. like, what? They give birth the next, what, June? July? Yeah. So they've got three, four months to... Yeah, to, to pack it on. Get ready? Yeah. yeah. Uh, most people, even if they don't know much else about bowhead whales, even, like, not whale nerds like us, might know that they are considered to be the longest living mammals um, consistently thought to live for over 200 years. And we have some estimate, uh, some solid proof for that. Um, in 2007, a 15 meter specimen was caught off of the Alaskan coast and discovered with the head of an explosive, explosive bomb lance of a model. So basically like some sort of part of a harpoon or some weapon used for whaling um, that was only manufactured between 1879 and 1885. So the whale was probably lanced sometime between those years, and its age at the time of death was then estimated to be between 115 and 130 years. Um, and so then, spurred by this discovery, they started, like, how old are the other ones that we know about? And so they started doing some studies. Uh, one specimen was estimated to be 211 years old. Other bowhead whales have been estimated between 135 and 172 years old. And according to research done at um, CSIRO in Australia, their National Science Agency, the genome sequence revealed bow whales' maximum lifespan to be 268 years, which is, I don't know how they do that, I guess, just with like comparing the certain parts of their genome to other animals and then sort I of guess doing so. some it's math. I'm not really one sure. One of those things that yeah. I guess we'll find out maybe one day we yeah. just have to wait for the 268 yeah. years to happen i guess so yeah because like now we'll know like now we've been tracking certain individuals for yeah. decades at least so we'll just keep yeah keep counting keep on waiting yeah yeah <laughs> but this like when we talk about like constantly grazing mm-hmm. moving slowly very big and thick like those are the kinds of things we see in, in other long animals yeah you think about greenland sharks and elephants. tortoises and elephants like yeah they like you don't move fast and yeah. you're real like, big you're big like 
way, way bigger than most of your predators. You yeah. move slow. And also they eat pretty high up on the food chain. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're eating zooplankton, not like large fish. So their toxin load yeah. is smaller it's than small. something. Yeah. yeah. Even if they're yeah, eating yeah. like medium sized fish, right? They'd be getting like one more level of um, toxic of load. Toxic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. Speaking of their genetics, in 2015, scientists from the U.S. and the U.K. were able to successfully map the whale's entire genome. And through some comparative analysis, they found a couple of alleles that could be responsible for their uh, longevity. There's the ERCC1 gene and the proliferating cell nuclear antigen, PCNA gene. And these are both linked to DNA repair and also... um, cancer resistance, which I guess that kind of goes together because cancer is like mutations in your DNA due to errors. So yes, they're able to like prevent and repair problems in their DNA basically, which can contribute to not getting cancer, which can contribute to living longer. Good job. Uh And also is what the persistent rumor going around that sharks don't get cancer. Yes. Is from because because of these same Greenland sharks, which is the same thing. They live for a long, long time. So they have I assume it's very similar or the same genes. Yeah, and then or genes that, that do rumor the same gets thing. around, and that's yeah. how deep blue sea gets made. Um, <laughs> and you know, yeah, good times, good times. Yep. So generally, we're going to get into a little bit of a sort of sub conflict of the mm. taxonomy conflict, <laughs> which is population stocks. So generally, there's considered to be five distinct populations or stocks of bowhead whales the western arctic stock the baffin bay and davis strait stock the hudson bay and fox basin stock the sea of okotsk okay and the svalbard barton sea stock so those are our five sorry about the pronunciation i just throw i'm just making it up Um, we're a class researched act. Hey, we don't <laughs> never said we could speak Russian. True. So. True, true, true. Um, so the two stocks that we know the most about are the Western Arctic stock and the Baffin Bay stock. So the Western Arctic stock is found in the Bering, Chukchi, and Beaufort seas. And a 2019 study estimated that the Western Arctic population was about 12,505 individuals. And this, in fact, may be nearing its pre-commercial whaling level. Hooray! This stock is considered to be the most stable. Um, it's it's not classified as being vulnerable or endangered. Uh, it's considered low risk and still something to watch for, as with any whaling population. Um, but yay, yay, Western Arctic stock. The Baffin Bay and Davis stock, Davis Strait stock uh, is found in, go figure, Baffin Bay and Davis Strait. And this stock is larger. It's 14,400 animals, which also corresponds to pre-whaling estimates, which would indicate that the population has fully recovered. However, this stock is actually still classified as endangered. And part of this is because as climate change is substantially shrinking the sea ice in this area these whales are increasingly threatened by increased shipping traffic. And so there is great variability in their population numbers. So it's not the same as in the Western Arctic where things have been really stable and really good for a long time. Um, The stock is very 
is still fluctuating quite greatly, so they are considered to be endangered. And then of the other three populations, the Hudson Bay and Fox Basin stock is estimated to be at about 1,026 individuals based on a 2005 study by Fisheries and Oceans Canada. They are classified as vulnerable. The Sea of Akostik, that's my best that I'm going to do, stock is, according to Russian scientists, only about 400 animals. So go figure, they are also endangered. And our smallest little sea stock, the Svalbard Barents sea stock, is the most endangered. But, and this is the saddest part of the story, they were actually historically the largest population. Um, they were hit the hardest by whaling, and there are less than a hundred animals left in that population. So they are very endangered. Now, recent evidence does suggest that the Hudson Bay and Fox Basin stock and the Baffin Bay and Davis Strait stock should actually be considered one population because of genetics and the way that they move around. Go back and listen to A, Lindsay's taxonomy discussion today, <laughs> or any other time <laughs> that we've talked about any cetacean. Yeah. Populations are hard. So confusing. Well, and then isn't one of these the Hudson Bay one? They haven't counted them since 2005. So, yeah. like, they haven't, like, they don't, they're, ma- they're saying this stuff, but I'm like, maybe just go out and count them first. Yeah. And then go from there. Like, it's only a thousand. It's not that complicated. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> they're over real a... big and they move real slow. Exactly. <laughs> over a large area. Like, I know there's yeah. ice and and everything, but, like, it's not, yeah, you're not trying to count 40,000 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, update your research and then. Yes, and then make a decision about genetics. Yeah, the the point of making them one stock would be to update their IUCN status, and you can't do that until you have an active population number anyway, so... Yeah. 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 So, step one. Count whales. (laughs) Okay. So, threats, as you may have thought, since all those uh, populations are not super great... Uh, whaling is the biggest, was the biggest one. Their population was severely reduced before a 1966 moratorium was passed to protect the species. Indigenous whaling does occur on a subsistence level, but this is carefully managed and not currently a threat. Hunts, hunts in West Greenland and Canada are minimal, minimal less than 0.001% annually, uh, and both stocks are rising and indigenous hunts seem to be self-sustaining, similar to probably what indigenous hunts were before yeah for thousands and and thousands of years yeah yeah um killer whales are also known as to be predators bowheads seek the ice and shallow water safety when they're threatened by the killer whales the inuit do have a word for this behavior to give historical context so this isn't a new phenomenon but climate change is increasing the frequency that killer whales are observed in the far north uh it was once rare and now they're seen more frequently causing problems for bowheads and narwhals and belugas and everything else uh-huh. that lives up there. Those yeah. pesky little orcas. We like killer whales. We don't want them to go places they haven't already been. Because yeah, they're exactly. a very good predator. Yes. Yeah, yep. Killer whales they good. good. Climate change bad? Yep. yep. That's our TED Talk. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I probably could do a TED Talk on that. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that is our summary of the amazing 
bowhead whales. Uh, I think they're pretty spectacular animals. Um, having seen some photos, just the scale of especially their mouths is yeah. just unbelievable and so cool. And it's so great that, I mean, obviously not all of their population is doing awesome, but there has been some really great um, success stories in a couple of the populations, at least since the end of whaling of this species. Um, so that is great. And yeah, we did yeah, all we the, we have... did all the oh. whales in a whole ecosystem guys. We did it. Step one. I mean, all, all the winter all the, whales. All <laughs> or the winter all the, the year-round whales, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If we're crossing things off the 90-plus species list, we're doing great. So great. Ooh. Good job, friends. Okay. <laughs> um, we do have a naming of for bowheads, so in case you were wondering, they oh, are yeah. named after bows, like Katniss and Hawkeye, and not um, bows, like Christmas presents. Or also, um, and also bows of boats. They're named yep. after like hunting bows. Hunting bows. So the shape. Bow and arrow. A picture of a bowhead's <laughs> mouth. It yes. makes a lot of sense. It's completely exactly. I always thought it was so. like bows of ships because yeah, I, uh, based sense. on the shape of their head. Um, uh-huh. But it's the name comes from the shape of their mouth. And uh, speaking of things to read, first read that because I love that blog post. Um, but also much of the information in today's episode came from a beautiful book that I cannot recommend highly enough. It's called The Bowhead Whale. It came out in 2021, so it's full of recent research, and it's edited by J.C. George and J.G.M. Thuisen. It is a gorgeous book. It is huge, but really readable. Well, I should say it's it's filled with chapters that are short journal articles. So it's readable from an academia perspective. I wouldn't say this is something to like read with your kids who are interested <laughs> in learning about Bowhead It is definitely at a, at a more advanced level, but it reads really quickly. And it's fascinating. It's um, It goes into huge amounts of depth in biology way 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 more than we did in this podcast because we aren't going to recite a textbook for you but there's also a whole section on human interactions with bowhead whales so if you want to learn more about the history of whaling specifically with the species but also how that has evolved and changed and some indigenous history that we just don't feel we're the right people to share that i would really really recommend this book so um, you can get it wherever your academic books are sold. And uh, I love it. I'm going to send Lindsay some pictures of it so that she can put it on our Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, the existence of that book. I mean, obviously, we were at some point going to do a Bowhead episode. But the fact that this book came out recently was why we wanted to do this podcast episode. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, to let you guys all know about this awesome book that's written by, I mean, it's, well, it's edited by some um a couple people, but like all the articles are written by, I'm assuming, some really great researchers that I'm excited oh, yeah, there's so many. to check out. Um, yeah, I don't know. We always like sending people um, in the direction of like well-written, yeah, more in-depth science? stuff. Yeah, well-written science. Good job, folks. Well, actually, the picture I'll send you, Lynn, because like the very first page of the book, even before like the title, whatever the page is called that has all the copyright information. And yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. The very first page of the book is a 1599 map, what? like a map from 1599, where they would draw sea monsters. Uh-huh. 
Um, and the little, like, uh, caption to it is talking, like, there's, like, a bunch of little sea monster-esque whales drawn on it, and it's of, um, sort of, it's Greenland and a little bit of whatever Russia was at that point in time. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, and it was sort of the, a, a whaler, a Dutch whaler at the time, um, going, trying to find the Northeast Passage. Mm. And where these whale monsters are drawn on the map actually correspond to historical doc- historical records of bowhead whale whaling sites. Wow. So I've never looked... I mean, I love maps. I love any kind of map. I'm a big, big map person. I love old maps. With like President the beaut- Bartlett? Yes. <laughs> like the beautiful drawings and stuff on them but I've never looked at one of those maps with like the ships and the monsters drawn on them and thought oh those monsters they're so probably real animals were probably real animals but no that that was oh gosh so like that's that's the first thing you see when you open the book and oh cool. love it love this book before we continue with the rest of the episode we want to take a moment to tell you about how you can support our podcast and everything else that we do at whale tales you can join us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash whale tales you can join us for a dollar a month at the porpoise level five dollars a month at the dolphin level or ten dollars a month at the whale level Woo-hoo! and each level comes with a variety of perks like being able to vote in polls to help us decide what we're going to talk about on future episodes, discounts on our merch, thank you postcards signed by the three of us, access to extended interviews and extra stories we have when we have guests on the podcast, and fun bonus episodes that we do. Plus, at the whale level, you can actually produce your own fun flipper fact segment of the pod. Thank you so much to our patrons. You are amazing and are helping us do everything that we do. Indeed. And if you aren't able to support us financially, that's okay. We totally understand. Uh, There's still lots that you can do to help us out if you feel so inclined. You can leave us a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and that will help other people find us. And you can also just tell people that you think would like the podcast about it in person so that they can listen too. You can follow us on social media at whaletales underscore org, plus send us your feedback so we can keep making the podcast even better. Yeah, and keep an eye out for on our socials for some mm. exciting announcements coming very soon. Indeed. Yeah. Mystery, mystery. So, everyone know what time it is now? I do. Yeah, I do. It's time for Fun Flipper Fact, Fun Flipper Fact. It's time to have some fun <laughs> with the Fun Flipper Fact. <laughs> oh, so I knew Christmas-y. that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Today's fun flipper fact is continuing the theme. Still about bowheads, but a really kind of like random fact that I discovered in researching the bowhead whale that didn't really fit anywhere that uh, we were covering in the main part of the pod. So strap in, because this one is awesome. They all are, let's be honest. (laughs) So this was something that was discovered quite recently in terms of, you know, bowhead knowledge in 2013. A study clarified the function of a rather large organ located inside a bowhead whale's mouth. It's called the palatal retal organ. And if you take your tongue and you rub it against the roof of your mouth and you are kind of in the middle, (laughs) that's your palate, right? That's Mm. the palate inside your mouth. And so... 
if you were to do that in a bowhead whale's mouth, and let's remember, we could all stand up uh-huh. with plenty of ceiling room inside a bowhead whale's mouth. Um, there's in, Ours is fairly smooth inside uh, our mouths when you feel your palate. A bowhead whale actually has an organ, like a specific organ along the center of the roof of their mouth. And there are some pictures that you can find of this online, um, particularly like detailed sketches from textbooks. Really, really cool. No one really knew what it was for. Like, eh, it might have something to do with baleen or filtering. Who knows? Turns out this bulbous ridge is consists of highly vascularized tissue. And it extends all along the hard plate, forming two large lobes near the back. The organ is thought to provide a mechanism for the whale to be able to cool themselves to prevent hyperthermia. (laughs) So thinking about the fact that they live in the Arctic, it's very, very cold. And they have their mouth open a lot. Which is the thing that is different uh, about them compared to belugas and narwhals. Because they're cruising along in freezing cold Arctic waters for hours on end with their mouth just open (laughs) so that they can eat, what was it, almost two short tons of of food a day. Um, That's a lot of, like, that's brain freeze to the extreme, basically. Right? So during physical exertion, what they do is the organ, their this uh, palatal retal organ becomes engorged with blood so that when the whale's mouth is open and the cold seawater flows over the organ, it cools the blood down. Oh. And then that blood obviously is moving everywhere else around the body yeah. and it kind of just cools internally their whole body down. So try that the next time you have a Slurpee. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, it's the same as like we sweat or dogs pant or whatever. It's yeah, like thermoregulation. But it seems funny that they'd have to do that. But they're yeah, so used to being down. protected by all that blubber that yeah. yeah, that's so crazy. Awesome. And also, like if you think about brain freeze, the first thing that you do, like wives' tail or whatever, is put your tongue on the roof of your mouth. Yeah. So <clears throat> like, there's some similarities there. We just don't have the super fancy organ because our mouths are smaller. And yeah. We weren't designed to drink Slurpees. It just happened. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful (laughs) happenstance. So there we go. Very, very cool. Hope you enjoyed your fun flipper fact. Hooray. And now a special Christmas story for all the children. Gather round. (laughs) Gather round. We may have told this story before, but it's so on theme and so Christmassy. Nicole? So this is not a bowhead whale story, unfortunately. In fact, in our library, we only have one, one lone bowhead whale. But it is made, it has accompanied some really incredible pictures of a bowhead whale in Greenland um, by Flo. So thanks, Flo. We love your story. If you've seen a bowhead whale, please add your story to our library. (laughs) So that one little story is not all by itself. Um, But the story that I'm going to tell you tonight, I'm going to put on my best mom storytelling voice. Is a story I wrote called "Twas the Night Before Dolphins." Twas the night before Christmas, and all through BC, lots of creatures were swimming and jumping at sea. The waves were all breaking ashore without care, and sea lions roared, so you'd know they were there. Sea otters were nestled all snug in kelp beds, while decorator crabs put new hats on their heads. 
The humpbacks were singing and headed down south, and the octopuses were searching for food for its mouth. When out in the water there arose such a racket that the lighthouse keeper rushed outside with her jacket. She looked high and low to see what was the cause of the noises she'd heard. Was it flippers or paws? The moon on the crest of the slow rolling waves shone bright on the edge of the small island caves when what to her wondering eyes should appear but a startling number of dolphins quite clear they were gray with white stripes they were lively and quick and the vocals they made were all squeals and clicks more rapid than eagles the dolphins they came she whistled and shouted and called them by name these dolphins have not been seen here for so long i must check my books in case i am wrong but I truly believe what I'm seeing tonight is the return of Pacific white-sided dolphins. All right. <laughs> yay! Yay, yay, yay. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that. That makes me laugh every time <laughs> I return to it. Um, this is based on true facts mm-hmm. that when Pacific white-sided dolphins returned, in quotes, to the coast of British Columbia, um, they were thought to be seen for the first time offshore on Christmas Eve in 1984, and their vocals were picked up on hydrophones in Johnson Strait, and the lighthouse keepers and researchers were very, very excited to see them. It was a nice little Christmas present. Yeah. <laughs> Pacific white-sided dolphins have been here. There's records from First Nations archaeological sites uh, and from Indigenous stories and language. Um, so they have certainly been here on the coast over 2,000 years ago and so, but they were not seen here very frequently for a very, very, very long time. And ever since Christmas Eve, 1984... They have been frequent visitors along our shores. Though I don't see them a lot. No. Merry Christmas to me. (laughs) Oh, so great. I was doing a little like happy dance because I've heard that story so many times and it's always at Christmassy things and it just makes me feel Christmassy and happy. Yeah. (laughs) As much as I love the dolphins, I really think my favorite line Mm. from the whole thing was actually the decorator. Yeah, no, me too. Uh huh. decorator crabs are the best so cute so before we head out we wanted to leave you with some maybe some calls to action that you know maybe you can sneak in before uh you celebrate the holidays or maybe they can be part of your new year's resolutions if you're into doing stuff like that um just we figured we'd brainstorm a few ideas of how to um maybe how to like give gifts in a more sustainable way. Um, This applies all year round, not just at Christmas. Um, My favorite thing that I did last year was for wrapping gifts, which was to just use plain paper and get my nieces to color all over them. And then we wrapped presents and it was super fun. Um, If you don't have plain paper, like if you've already got a bunch of like artwork that your kids have done, you know, I know it's always a problem. Like, what do I do with their art? Keep it. Use it for wrapping paper. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's awesome. So fun. Um, And I guess also the other thing, and I feel like I've talked about it on the podcast before, is like, we just give one gift. We like for my family, all the adults in my family, we just pick a name out of a hat or whatever and give one gift to one person. And then you get one gift from one person and it's great. Yeah. It simplifies things and makes things more sustainable because you just get somebody something that they really want or really need and it's great so that's me who's next 
Well, I stole your wrapping paper idea for yeah, this yeah. year. So now I've got that going for me. Um, I do have some experiences in my gift mm, purchases mm-hmm. this year, which are always a great thing to do when you have the option. And yeah, I think that's really all um, gift things. The biggest thing I have is like, there's so many, and we have been sharing them as well. There's so many fun, sustainable ideas for greener Christmases that you might see too late. Mm. And so the thing I like to do is just write them down, like write a reminder in your phone or even with your Christmas decorations, put a note in there. You can Ooh, always put a, a, like, a, fun, a fun note and then some reminders um, <laughs> of stuff for, to do next year. Like, look at this. Um, see if you can do that. Buy some this wrapping paper or all sorts of things because every year you can make a difference. And just because you saw something about a fun gift you could make or fun decorations you can make, uh, after all your decorations are up, doesn't mean you can't yeah. do it next year. Christmas is Christmas. Or so. you could make the decoration, doesn't have to be before Christmas, you could make it in that, yeah. the weird inter-holiday inter, inter period of Christmas to yeah. New Year's, if you are if you have time then, make decorations and then, then and then save them for next year. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be a fun surprise. Mm-hmm. Unless you're doing like things made out of oranges. Yeah. Um, don't do that. Yeah, no. Gross. Save that for next year. <laughs> Bad news. Mine is actually a little bit of well I have two I'll say because one is a gift idea and then one is a resolution I'm making to myself that I am gonna say out loud to all of our listeners (laughs) on the podcast to hold myself accountable to Ooh, scary (laughs) um so the idea for gifting is um in particular for kids because that's what I'm most of my gift giving is revolving around now as a mom of two um, so with my oldest son, James, we have a different kind of advent calendar set up to your typical let's go get uh, chocolate filled advent calendar at the store, which I love, but he can't have because he has a serious dairy allergy. So uh, a few years ago, we invented, um, I'm sure this is on Pinterest and in Etsy, so it wasn't like our invention, but we in our household, we invented um, little stockings that we would fill with just random little things from around the house um, every day leading up to Christmas to count down the days in December. And this year and last year, in addition to whatever kind of like little, it's really, really little things. Sometimes it's a snack. Sometimes it's socks, like just <laughs> anything in between. Um, we've been putting acts of kindness in and, So when he wakes up in the morning, he checks his little stocking, he finds uh, a little thing from around the house and an act of kindness to do. And I have been so proud to see how excited he gets about reading and completing his act of kindness for the day to the point that I don't know if he needs the thing that goes with it. He's so pumped every day when he gets it. He like, that's the thing that he runs to Jan and I to show us like, look at my act of kindness. Also, he can't read yet. He's four. So like, he does need us to read it for him, which is probably part of that. Um, But some of the things that he's been doing are, uh, you know, today's is like compliment someone on something they're good at. Yesterday was call somebody to tell them you love them. And so what's really, really nice about the act of kindness, it's a gift for him because he feels really kind doing those things. It's a gift for the family because we get to experience that with him. But it's also a gift to whoever that act of kindness is going towards. 
So, you know, yesterday he called um, his grandmother out of the blue. Not a planned call. Now, this might not work for millennials because we don't like to answer the phone. <laughs> but for the other next generation, it was so nice. And it was a, the shortest phone call ever. I just called to tell you I love you. That's my act of kindness for the day. I love you. I love you very, very much, Farmer. Um, bye. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so yeah, it's just been really, really wonderful. And uh, it's been kind of fun coming up with them. And nice. uh, we've done it for, for Advent for the last two years. But I am inspired by him and how much he likes it to try and keep it going. After Though that's not my resolution. My resolution is, as we've discussed on the podcast before, um, I try to shop local. We all try to shop local when we can. I try to go to places to pick gifts up rather than have them ordered. We're all human. And at the end of the day, I still find that even though I'm looking for Canadian companies and looking for locally made things, I order from Amazon a lot. I'm just admitting it. I am an Amazon orderer and I feel bad every time, both for the impact that has on the environment and on people from like a work ethic mm -hmm. perspective. And so, and it's just convenience. And especially as a parent, it is so effing convenient. So I have made a new year's resolution that I am putting out here on the podcast because I really, 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 really want to try for the entirety of 2023 to not order a single thing from Amazon. <laughs> Good. For wow. That's awesome. That's Thank awesome. You. I'm not saying I'm not going to order things online because sometimes it's just the way yeah. it has to go. But I am getting rid of my Prime account, which will make it a lot harder. Yeah, <laughs> and to to just have that as like a go to, um, and that is my goal. And I am saying it to the wilds of the internet and our listenership to try and hold myself accountable because I am a little bit scared. <laughs> but especially now that you know my kids are both big enough that like having a newborn yeah. just shocked me to my core when my first was born and then it was just so so easy with the second that now it's like oh no like you're you're fine if you're with somebody else for a little while and I can go to a store <laughs> to find exactly something. or also like you don't need everything in one day shipping yeah true yeah it's okay <laughs> it's okay to wait. So that's, there we go. I've admitted to my faults and what I'm going to try and do to fix it. See, I don't think it's necessarily a fault, but I think the fact that you feel bad about doing it means it's a good resolution for you to do. Like, because both, you don't like how it makes you feel when you do it. No. I yeah. So. feel gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not a judgment on like the concept or anything. It's like, this makes you feel not great about how you spend your money. Therefore you're going to do something about it, which I think is great. So that's the kind of resolution I like to see. And on that note, I think that's the end. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here with us through another year. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. We're so, so grateful to have you with us um, and listening to us and being a part of our community and our library. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or any episode. Maybe you're binging us all at once. And that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Fully support um, that. So 
fully flipped. So please visit our website, whale-tales.org, to find links to our various social media handles so that you can drop us a line and just say hi. Say you're listening. We honestly love it so much. It makes our whole day. Indeed. While you're there at our website, you can find out all the ways that you can subscribe to the podcast. You can check out our merchandise. You can learn about supporting us and becoming a patron. And you can read almost 1,200 whale, dolphin, and porpoise stories. That's whale-tales.org. Tales like the story, not tales like the animal. And if you've seen a citation, we would love to add your story to our library. Click on the share link on our website. You can contact us on social media. We're at whaletales underscore org on Instagram. Or you can email us a voice memo and tell us all about your incredible cetacean encounter. Finally, we would like to acknowledge that we recorded today's episode on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples and the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, as well as the homelands of the Tawasan First Nation. Thank you again so much for listening and supporting us, and we hope you have a whaley great day.